Hello, and welcome to another installment of Visionaries, a podcast that demonstrates you don't need a lot of eyesight in order to be a visionary. I am, as always, one of your hosts of this year program. My name is John Steinberg, joined in tandem by my enormously talented co-host named Aiden Barrett. Aiden, how you doing this evening, my man? I'm doing good. I'm excited to be on tonight. All right, as am I. So let's uh, kick it off with our words to live by. A little bit of uh, wisdom for you to tuck away in your back pocket when times get tough and uh, you seek a little inspiration. What is our quote this week, Mr. Bear? Yeah, this one comes from Warwick Davis. The world worried about disability more than disability people do. Now, I... I a specific reason why I wanted to bring this one up is because John, I mean, we, we've talked about it before, is, you know, the perception from somebody who's not disabled toward the disability community, it's almost like, oh, well, you know what, they probably can't do this. Um, They probably wouldn't be the best at this. They need help here. But I think me and you both know, John, that's far from the truth. These kids are smart. They're physically strong. They're mentally strong. They have a passion towards something. They want to do the same things, just might be a little bit different. So what, what the reason I want to bring up this quote is, you know, if you're someone in, you know, who isn't disabled, I mean, honestly, this is even more so toward the people who aren't disabled, is to not, it's not just rule people out, not just, you know, because they have a disability that maybe, you know, they're probably not going to be the best at this. I mean, you have no idea. You you, you have no idea. You've never maybe even met this person, maybe even a conversation with this person, and you're already, you know, ruling them out as being a possible, you know, maybe a player on your basketball team or, you know, part of your, you know, maybe study group. Um, I mean, th- these are the type of things that I think, you know, people who maybe aren't disabled are sometimes thinking. And I mean, John, me and you know from talking to countless of people who work with the disabled community or in the disabled community, we know how talented, how good they can be, how, you know, how how strong that they can be in what they want to do. And, you know, if you are in, you know, the disabled community and you do have those peers out there who, you know, maybe uh, don't, you know, don't think that you can do what you want to do, I mean like that quote said i mean they worry more about you than you worry about yourself and i mean you just go out there and you can prove how good you are how you know you strong you are mentally physically how much of a difference you can make and i mean at some point if you just you know keep going keep doing what you're supposed to do keep doing what you want to do uh you're going to turn some heads and i mean we need those people out there who you know want to help the disabled community, have an open mind to the disabled community. And if we have those people, we have those, you know, those strong, mentally tough disabled people out there. I mean, we can keep being better as one. And, you know, it it just, so for me, this quote really, I just wanted to focus in on the perception because from the perception outside sometimes with some people is that, you know, the disabled community isn't able to do the same stuff but John, me and you know that they are able to it. And some of them are really, really good at what they're able to do. So mm-hmm. I really just kind of wanted to put that out there. It's kind of, you know, for sure. the perception yeah. part. And uh, I would be remiss if I didn't mention that I'm a big fan of uh, the work of Warwick Davis. Um, he stars as uh, the evil leprechaun 
in like all seven of the uh, Leprechaun films. And um, he was in Willow. And uh, most recently, he did this uh, tongue-in-cheek show on HBO maybe 10 years ago now called Life's Too Short with uh, Ricky Gervais. And um, so he is willing to laugh at himself. Let's, uh, let's just say it that way. So great to have a quote from Mr. Warwick Davis for our words to live by. And now... That brings us to our next segment, our Handprints Hall of Fame, where we induct somebody who we feel merits inclusion into this illustrious Handprints Hall of Fame. So, if you think of the Grauman's Chinese Movie Theater on Hollywood Boulevard, where right out front, stars of stage and screen from yesteryear and even contemporary times have bent down place their palms into the cement, thereby enshrining their legacy for all the world to interact with forever. So, Mr. Aiden Barrett, you selected our inductee into the Handprints Hall of Fame this week. Who will we be enshrining? Yeah, John, I know we talked blind hockey last time we were on, but I went right back to hockey. I'm selecting, or we're selecting Brad Bowden into the Hall, Hall of Fame this week. Um, You know, somebody who's six-time Paralympian. Uh, at age 15, John, he joined Canada's national team to play hockey. He's a four-time world champion, and not just ice hockey, but also basketball as well. Uh, he scored the golden goal in the 2006 Olympics in the Paralympics for Team Canada. So, I mean, somebody who's really recollected as a great, great Paralympic hockey player, just great Paralympic player in general, has a lot of success in the adaptive sports world. Uh, I mean, by some people, he's known as really the best ever to do it in hockey. But, I mean, he, he, you can see he's played multiple sports. He's been super successful in both sports. I mean, just somebody who really, I think, the younger generation and, you know, people who are getting involved in the adaptive sports can really look up to. Because, I mean, we always, you know, we talk about, you know, the greats, the Joe Montanas, the Tom Brady's, the Wayne Gretzky's, the Michael Jordan's. I mean, all these great players. And I think that's sometimes what the drive is for sports, John, is, you know, somebody you want to be this great icon. Because, I mean, we look at, you know, the Tom Brady's, the Michael Jordan's, and we're like, oh, you know, I want to be that one day. I want to be as good as him. I want to, you know, sign the autographs and stuff like that. And, you know, for, for to see somebody like Brad Bowden, I mean, his resume speaks for itself. I mean, he's got four world championships between basketball and ice hockey. Like I said, scored the game-winning goal in the 2006 uh, Paralympics. I mean, this is somebody who I think a lot of people in the adaptive community can look up to and be inspired by because, you know what, they want maybe they want to be the next Brad Bowden. So I think this was somebody who's, you know, has a lot of success, obviously is super talented, had the drive and made, you know, a great, great career of himself. Yeah, I think it's a marvelous selection, Aiden. Um, yeah, folks like this, they don't come around very often. So it goes without saying, although we have just said it, that this gentleman 
is our latest inductee into the illustrious Anne Prince Hall of Fame. And now we are going to roll right into Profiles and Courage, a segment where we have on a guest that we find truly inspiring. And um, we have a conversation with that guest and um, help bring his or her story uh, to a wider audience. So, uh, Aiden, who are we going to be speaking with today? Yeah, today we're going to be speaking with Coach Mike White of the Dallas Junior Wheelchair Mavericks. Sounds like he's got a lot of cool, interesting things to say. I mean, John, we looked at their website a little bit. Seems like they got a really good program going on over there. Sure does. Can't wait to talk to him. Thanks so much, Mike, for joining us here today. Mike, just kind of to get started, how did you get involved with wheelchair basketball? Uh, yeah, my story's kind of unique. Um, I do not have a physical disability, but growing up, my mom's been a special needs teacher's aide for literally my entire life. So I have two older sisters, and every summer she would drag us to the Special Olympics, which is more developmental disabilities. Um, but we would go volunteer there, kind of just fell in love with volunteering. And then uh, my older sister, when she graduated with her master's, she got a job as a director of a special needs summer camp. And every week they would bring in some some group with some sort of physical or intellectual disability. And she always needed help, just needed an extra hand. And uh, I'd go up there on the weekends, volunteer. I was kind of early on in my professional career. And then I would just play basketball with the volunteer with the, uh, the counselors during my downtime or their downtime. And the guy who ran the Cleveland, uh, the Cleveland Cavaliers wheelchair basketball team. He said, Hey, you kind of know what you're doing when it comes to basketball. Like our head coach for our wheelchair basketball team is in a wheelchair. And sometimes the ball goes up in the bleachers. And sometimes we need somebody who can go get it and uh, carry the equipment in. So do you want to come help out on Sundays? And I said, yeah, absolutely. And that was back in Cleveland where I grew up. That was 12 years ago. And I moved to Dallas nine years ago and I've been with the Mavericks ever since. Awesome. Awesome. You know, my, I'm thinking I've always kind of wondered or just kind of question that I have is players who maybe at one point were able to play basketball on their feet and for whatever reason are now in a wheelchair, they can't play basketball the same way as they used to. I feel like that can be kind of challenging almost mentally as much as it is physically. Um, how do you get across to those players who, you know, maybe are, you know, struggling to maybe, I guess, cope with the new way of playing basketball? How do you get through to them and get them involved? Yeah, um, it, that's a great question. And that's 100% true. You know, they're still coming to terms with their their new life um, and their new normal. But eventually, once they fall in love with wheelchair basketball and they realize, okay, I can go out and I can do all these things. My life isn't, if this isn't the end of the world, um, then they're usually the first ones to go out and kind of make an impact. They, they tend to lead by example. You know, we've had, We've had three or four different kids over the years who um, did not weren't born with a disability. And a lot of times it's spinal cord injury. Uh, for instance, last year we just graduated a senior who's now at UTA. His name's Dylan Mitchell. He um, he was one of those kids that was on like the kind of Friday night tyke shows that you see on Netflix. He was on one of the Texas football teams where I mean he was the star. He was the running back. He was the free safety. And uh, it took him a couple of years before he was actually willing to come and get on the court. And he came out when he was a freshman. I was like, nah, 
I'm not ready yet. Uh, and then he came out whenever he was a sophomore and he was a little bit more at peace and he had kind of come to terms with, okay, this is my life now. And he just came out and dominated. I mean, he led by example and he had been through, um, you know, non, non-adapted sports. Uh, not all of our kids have, but he had been coached hard. He had been, uh, road hard and, he was ready for the challenge. He was ready for any challenge. And those kids tend to be really good leaders. They tend to be um, very coachable. They tend to want to push themselves, want to push teammates. And each and every kid's different. And they all need to take their time to heal, not only physically, but mentally. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's it's something that's different for everybody. But at the same time, if you're an athlete, you're still an athlete. And that competitive itch, it, it doesn't go away until you scratch it. Yeah, no, you, you say, you know, you're still an athlete. You're still competitive. Um, You know, people who come into wheelchair basketball, maybe this is the first adaptive sport that they've actually played. Do you see, you know, kids and people come in, play the sport, and, you know, they like it so much that they want to try out other adaptive sports? Like, do you see that confidence, like that almost like, oh, I can actually do this, uh, start to translate to other sports? Yeah, we see that a lot in our program. Uh, Dallas Junior Mavericks, we have 60 kids, and that's from ages four to seniors in high school. Um, And we have a lot of connections here in the Dallas community. I be, I'm a firm believer that Dallas is one of the best places to play adapted sports. And so maybe basketball is where they get started, but maybe then they discover track and field from that, or maybe they discover um, you know, wheelchair softball, wheelchair football. And it's, it's sometimes just a gateway and just opens the door. You know, we've got several people that have come through our program and they didn't go on to play basketball in college. They didn't even finish out high school basketball because then they found um, you know, paratriathlon, or they found track and field. We have a couple girls who just graduated last year that are now at the University of Arizona doing track and field, and they're on the junior Paralympic tri- uh, triathlon team. Yeah, no, definitely. You know, you said you had 60 kids in your program right now. So obviously you've had a bunch of people come through your program, be successful with it, be so successful. They want to keep playing once they get out of it. Um, Seeing some of your players or former players, you know, win, a, you know, win an award or, uh, you know, play, you know, in a, just get recognition in like uh, college sports or, you know, in a professional league. What, what does that mean to you guys? And how does that, you know, not just to you guys, I'm sorry, I'm going to ask two questions here. To, how do, What does it mean to you guys? And what does it do for, you know, other kids who are coming through the program? Like, wow, you know, it's not just here. There's more to this. And, you know, there's things that we can strive for and try to achieve. Yeah, it, as a coach, it means the world. Um, Because you're always rooting for them. You know, I, I tell our kids when they graduate, hey, I don't, I don't get to be your coach anymore, but, you know, now I get to be your friend. Now I get to be your biggest fan. And, you know, our Dallas program, we've sent over 20 kids to college to play basketball just in the nine years that I've been here. Um, and some of them have gone on to be All-Americans, win national championships. And I am watching like I'm a parent, you know, like a proud parent on a live stream or if nationals are somewhere within driving distance, then I'm going. And I'm, I've caught up with, you know, I have a really good relationship with a lot of our former athletes. Um, there's actually six of them now back coaching within our program. Um, but just to watch them grow into adults, become the people that they were eventually going to be and know that you had a little bit of hand in that, you know, selfishly is is incredible. And then uh, they they reach out. I reach out. We, we talk on a very regular basis. And whether they're kind of going through something, whether they're having success, 
it's just such a great thing to be a part of their lives because our program really is, you know, a special place and it's really where they learned to build confidence and recognize, hey, I'm capable of great things and uh, I just have to push myself to do it. Yeah, no, that definitely sounds like a great feeling, uh, you know, being able to be a part of these kids' lives and making them, you know, better, in the, especially in the adaptive sports world. I know John has a couple of questions about this as well. I do, absolutely. So uh, I was wondering, um, I took occasion to uh, peruse your website and was just reading um, a little bit of uh, literature about the uh, the Junior Mavericks. So the organization started in like the 1980s, is that correct? That is correct. It precedes me. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. So in all your time with the organization, um, what's that one real standout, be it athlete or um, situation, like um, for lack of a better way of putting it, the biggest highlight to this point? Oh, that's a great question. That is a difficult question. Um, We, so for me personally, um, we had a kid, his name was Angel Guevara, and he played with our our program for forever. Uh, You know, he was like the the next up and coming stud who was going to move up to the varsity team, uh, you know, single leg amputee, highly intelligent. I mean, he started tutoring college kids when he was in eighth grade. Uh, that's how intelligent he was. And his freshman year, we went to an out-of-town tournament. Uh, luckily, his family was there and he's staying with them in the hotel. But he, he had a pulmonary embolism. Uh, and he, he nearly died that night. And he stayed in the hospital in San Antonio for three months. And we didn't think he was ever going to play again. We were just worried about him surviving and, you know, living a normal life. And uh, two years ago, he reached out to me in a text message and he just said, Hey Mike, is it okay if I swing by practice? I'd, I'd really like to see everyone. And I said, yeah, absolutely. We'd love to see you because he had grown up with these kids who are now seniors like he was, and they had continued playing. We were becoming a stronger team again after a couple of rebuilding years. And he comes in and he's got his basketball wheelchair with him. And he goes to you, do you mind if I hop in? And instantly I was terrified. Are you able to hop in? Are you cleared to play? He goes, I I won't be what I was, but if it's okay with you, I'd really like to give it a shot. And he was functioning with like 60% lung capacity. So he wasn't ever going to reach the potential that he would have before that incident. But uh, I remember him getting back on the court and just seeing the biggest smile I've ever seen on anyone's face. And it was just a simple practice. He got out there for about five minutes. And he's like, okay, I need a break. Uh, and then his first tournament back, uh, I went and I explained to the officials, kind of told some of the parents in the stands, hey, listen, you know, here's the situation. Uh, and then we sent him out there by himself to do the tip. And he was just sitting there at center court, kind of looking around like what's going on. And the entire gym gave him a standing ovation. And, uh, you know, we, we've won countless tournaments since I've been here as the varsity coach. We've sent like I said, many people on to play in college, but the things that stand out the most are the things that don't necessarily show up in a press release or, um, you know, show up in a box score. And so that, that was definitely one of the many standout things over the last few years since I've been here. And that's a big part of why you're in the position that you're in. Um, That really is all the reward 
needed in order to, you know, get that validation of, am I doing the right thing? Have I dedicated myself to the right cause? A story like the one that you just told um, definitely lets you know that, yeah, you're on the right track. You are making an enormous impact in the lives of folks who need your help. Um, and it's just wonderful, wonderful to hear. Um, so I was also interested, um, as somebody coming from the visually impaired community, um, I don't know a ton about wheelchair basketball. Um, you know, in the visually impaired community, we have stuff like goalball, um, beat baseball. We just had a guest on who taught us about blind hockey. Um, but I'm a diehard basketball fan, the Clippers, unfortunately. Um, and I am, I'm really interested in some of the adaptive rules that make this wonderful game possible, um, to the folks that you coach. So how is wheelchair basketball different from, let's just say conventional basketball? Yeah. Aside from the obvious standing up, um, it's, it's less of a lateral game because, uh, it's more about angles then lateral movement, you know, then in able body basketball, they tell you shuffle your feet on defense. Um, you know, here we're worried about your your turn quickness and, you know, how quick are your hands, how good are your angles. Uh, in wheelchair basketball, you get two pushes, and then you have to dribble. Um, there is traveling. There is no double dribble. Um, and then it's really just, it's, it's interesting how much it crosses over with soccer um, just because of, placement and angles and how important those things are. And it is a contact sport. You know, you'll see people who they get flipped over and then they just pop themselves right back up. They're back in the play. And it really is at the highest level. It's, it's incredible to watch some of the things that these athletes are capable of. You know, you watch a guy like Pat Anderson, Steve Serio, um, and they're the best in the world at what they do. And being from Dallas, watching the Dallas men's team, who's won, over 10 national championships at the D1 level, uh, just seeing them go through battles over the years, whether it's here in Dallas, whether it's at the national tournament in a national championship game with a packed gym, it really does match, you know, any event that I've been at on, on a personal level in any other sport, just from an mm -hmm. intense level, a level of competitiveness and the overall competition. I mean, at the highest level, this game is so fun to watch. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Um, and so are you, okay, you guys are the junior Mavericks. Um, do you compete against, um, oh, let's say the junior Thunder, the junior Spurs, the junior Rockets, that kind of thing? Yeah, so um, there's, there's two divisions in juniors wheelchair basketball. There's prep, which is pretty much if you can push your chair and you want to play uh, and you're old enough, then – you can play, and that's up to 13, 14 years old, kind of depending on where you are physically. And then uh, there's the varsity level. There's varsity level. If you're in seventh or eighth grade and you can hang at that level, then you're able to play it. There's no minimum age restriction. Uh, but then you can play up until you're a senior in high school. And so um, we play teams from all over the country. It's not necessarily the, the Thunder, the Rockets, but, you know, there are teams here in Dallas or here in Texas, where we have a team in San Antonio, we have a team in Houston, we have a team in Austin, we do have a team in Oklahoma City. And each one of those teams, they have 
different connections. Some are sponsored by hospitals. Some are entirely fundraised and ran by volunteers like our organization is. Um, but yeah, there's, I want to say 60, 60 ish teams, depending on the year, uh, between prep and varsity across the country. And we travel all over the place. You know, this year we're going to Austin in two weeks, and then we're going to go to, um, Wisconsin. We're going to go to Atlanta. We're going to go to Utah. We're going to go to Kansas. And then our national tournament this year is in Virginia. So we, we get around <laughs> we play about 30 games a year. Uh, usually at our tournaments, we play about five or six games a weekend. So cool. So cool and inspiring to hear. And seriously, for those members of our audience that are unfamiliar with wheelchair basketball and the extent of it, well, you just heard the whole league structure laid out pretty well, and it definitely seems to be thriving and on the come up. So now, uh, Aiden, I'm going to kick it back over to you. I know you've got some additional questions for our wonderful guest. Yeah, definitely. Um, I, I heard you say, you know, moving around, going to places like Kansas and Virginia, I'm sure throughout the years you've seen some, you know, changes. Um, what, how much has this game grown? Uh, you know, just going around and like, how helpful is or is it that you know you guys are able to travel and able to you know see players from you know different states or different parts of the world? How important is that? Like, how much is this game grown or how much is this game growing? The game does continue to grow. Um, you know, there's, there's more teams now than when I started, there's more teams than there were a few years ago, every now and then a, a new juniors team pops up and you're like, wait, you know, Cincinnati has a team and, and they're good. Where did that come from? Uh, you know, Cincinnati just came out of nowhere about five years ago and became a national power, but the game continues to grow just obviously with the rise of social media, with the rise of conventional media and, uh, the more people get exposed to it, there's so many people out there in the world who have been impacted by this game. And it's crazy. You know, you can sit in a room with five, 10 people who are involved in this community and swap stories for hours and hours about how they chased down a kid at the mall, or, you know, they chased down a kid that they just randomly saw at the supermarket in public, uh, trying to get them involved in the sport. And then with the more kids, like the uh, Gen Z is, is really interesting to me um, because, you know, that's kind of the generation that I've grown up coaching and they want to share their experiences. They don't want to. They don't want to safeguard it or gatekeep the community. They want as many kids possible to get the experience that they experienced. And then, obviously, the last few years, you know, the Paralympics in 2016 and 2020, technically 2021, uh, with NBC showing these games like the conventional Olympics and exposing more people to that. I mean, our program after the last Paralympic cycle we got six new kids just because they saw it on TV. And that I think is going to be the biggest way to grow it is just getting more national and international exposure um, and getting more, more eyes on it, more ears on it and just piquing people's interest because, you know, quite frankly, if, if we can get pickleball on TV, why can't we get wheelchair basketball on TV? Um, I, I think that's the next natural progression is, Hey, whenever it's late spring and there's not a lot going on and the only game on is really, baseball um that's when our national tournament is that's when the best of the best are playing and and you know you you've also got the international community as well with leagues in spain greece all over europe um those games are streamed and if we could just get more of an audience to pay attention like once once you see the game 
for the first time, uh, you'll realize that it's <laughs> it's just as fun to watch as anything else, quite frankly. Yeah, no, amen definitely. To, amen to that. Definitely. No, it, it would be great if we get that on TV and, you know, get more exposure to it. Because, I mean, I think all us three of us know how, you know, unique and how great the disability community can be in sports. But, you know, that's kind of where I want to go with this next question, because I feel like almost a problem is, uh, you know, people who are not disabled, their perception of the disabled community might be a little bit. They just think like weak or unable to, you know do things in certain ways, you know, play the same sports. But I think us three as well also know it's far from the truth. They're very strong mentally, physically, can go on and on and on. Um, For someone who isn't disabled, what is the best way that we can get, you know, that, you know, that perception change and, you know, get these dis- the kids who are disabled involved? Maybe we're not playing wheelchair basketball, but there's a way that we can get them involved what would be your best advice, you know, our audience that's listening out there who isn't disabled but wants to get the disabled community involved? Yeah, that that's a great question. I've asked myself that many times. Um, you know, I mean, ultimately, even though I'm not disabled, um, this is kind of my, my chosen path. This is my passion in life. Some people fish, some people hunt, some people golf. I've, I'm not a fisherman. <laughs> I don't know how to bait a hook. Uh, I'm a terrible golfer. And, uh, you know, this is my hobby. This is my passion in life. And I really think that um, kind of the stories, the stories are going to be the biggest thing because each and every one of these athletes has a story, whether they're born disabled, whether they were injured later in life. Um, I think leaning into that is a really powerful thing. And you have to have something to root for when you're watching sports. You know, I mean, John, I know you said you're a Clippers fan. Um, Yes. (laughs) You know, knowing knowing the story behind an athlete and like, for instance, Blake Griffin, you rooted for a little bit more because he blew his knee out. Um, right. Well, you know, someone who's coming back from a severed spinal cord, you're going to want to root for them. And uh, I think there is a little bit of a hesitancy, hesitancy from the general public just because maybe they know one person in a wheelchair um, and it's not normalized yet. And I think the biggest thing that we can do as a community is kind of play it up you know let's let's be an inspiration and a lot of our athletes especially in our program they don't they don't love the term hey you're an inspiration to me but you are uh you know like it or not that can be the gate to let people kind of enter and then once they realize oh wow these are really impressive athletes uh this is this is a great game to watch you know I'm, i'm really interested in uh the strategy of it i'm really interested in the rules, the, the athleticism, because I mean, there are some very athletic plays that you'll see in, in the sport and just kind of um, embracing the fact that kind of it is what it is and you don't have to be defined by your disability, but it is a part of your life and it's a part of the sport for everyone involved. And so that would be one of the biggest things that I would say um, to just get more exposure would be buying into that a little bit more and promoting these incredible stories because you've got a military division now in, in the NWBA, you know, the National Wheelchair Basketball Association. You've got college division, men's and women's. You've got division one, division two, II, division three. There's so many incredible stories and there's so many incredible people. And just exposing more people to those stories, um, I think that would just open the floodgates. 
Yeah, definitely. I mean, I, throughout high school, I, I worked in multiple uh, special need camps, daycares, and, you know, the, with the adaptive community. And I never really thought of it the way that you just did, how, you know, you know, you have a player on a professional sports team, they get hurt, you're rooting for them to play well when they come back, or like something happens where they're not playing for a while. And then you, you kind of just brought it over to in the disability world where, you know, somebody has, like you said, a spinal cord injury. And it's kind of the same thing where they're, they you want to root for them. You want them to get back. So, I mean, that's a really interesting way to look at it because, yeah, I never honestly thought of it that way. But now that you bring it up that way, I mean, that's almost exactly probably what I was doing without actually realizing it. But now that you bring that up, I mean, that's a great, great idea because, yeah, no, if I mean, obviously, if, you know, you have a kid who, you know, was a great athlete, you know, maybe gets hurt and now they're trying to come back and play, maybe playing a little bit different now. I mean, why are you not going to root for them? So that was a really great point brought up. I really did enjoy that. Appreciate that. Yeah, no, uh, Mike, we really appreciate you coming on today. It was great talking to you. You know, we love what you guys are doing over there. So keep doing it. And, uh, you know, thank you again for coming on today. But hey, I love what you guys are doing, too. I've had a chance to listen to the podcast a couple of episodes, and uh, it's it's good stuff. I, I really appreciate you guys reaching out to our program and having me on. And if there's anything I can do in the future, definitely let me know. Awesome. Thank you so much, Mike. Awesome. Yeah, thanks so much. Take care. Awesome stuff there, Mike. If you're still listening, thanks for coming on. I, you know, our audience definitely, I'm sure, is going to get a lot out of that, huh, John? I definitely believe so. No, I mean, those types of inspiring stories, um, particularly, I mean, a couple of the uh, anecdotal tales that he that he told um, over the course of that interview uh, were the type of stuff that... Um, well, they're impossible to forget. Um, so, yeah, we believe that more people listening to the show, learning about all the wonderful things that are going on in adaptive sports, and specifically in this instance with um, adaptive wheelchair basketball, um, it's all great stuff. It's all changing lives and empowering folks to live out their dreams yeah john and i think the uh the, the great part about this is um or one of the, the many great parts about this was is that you know mike said it himself i mean credit to his mom he wasn't someone who was disabled, you know, growing up. He had just been around the community and he happened to be asked to help. And, you know, a, a small way that might one person see it, but he was just asked to go get, you know, the basketballs because their, their basketball coach was in a wheelchair and it led into a whole entire career path. And I mean, that's sometimes what we need. Like, I, I know I keep bringing it up, but it's perception. If we are able to see these players, see these athletes, perform and play sometimes we want to be around it i mean it, it, like mike said i mean these are athletes these are talented players i mean john we've seen it a hundred times i mean these players they're talented they're enthusiastic they want to play they're passionate they're you know it's not a small commitment that they're making either i mean we heard they're going all the way to virginia then they're going to kansas i mean they're going around the world and they're competing they're playing i mean they had a great story about 
that kid who was able to, you know, he was in a hospital for three months, didn't even know if he'd come back, and he does come back to play. Uh, I mean, just some great stuff there from Mike, and it's great what they're doing over there at Dallas Junior Wheelchair Mavericks. I mean, they have a great program. They're traveling around. They're doing some awesome stuff, so we highly recommend you go check out their site, and if you know someone who, you know, may be disabled, might be in a wheelchair, could go sh- shout out, you know, a basketball. Because they're doing some great stuff over there. The game is growing. Go let them know about it. You know, they've got a lot of, like I said, alumni come back. There's a lot of connections. Go out, you know, enjoy wheelchair basketball. Absolutely. And uh, now we're going to kick it on to our next segment. Respect and representation in the media. Our weekly examination of a piece of pop culture. We have covered movies, television shows. We've covered a play. We've covered a song. Lots and lots of different stuff. We're trying to get to the heart of that fundamental question of, did they get this right? So, I got to pick the film for this week. And uh, I selected a movie from a couple years ago called Sound of Metal, starring uh, Riz Ahmed and Olivia Cook. Aiden, had you ever seen the film before? I hadn't until you mentioned it, John. And what did you think, sir? You know what, John? You, you, we always ask the question, did they get it right? You know, was it pr- properly put out there? Did, did they do a good job res- representing? you know the disability community and john i'm not gonna lie the thing that i actually really liked about this movie was because it was so real i mean you had somebody who was in love with music um his hearing is starting to go he finds out his hearing is starting to go um it's somebody who obviously still has a passion still loves music we know in the disability community the passion doesn't go away it might you know hide a little bit for a little bit, like, you know, Mike was talking about earlier, but the passion eventually finds its way back. And, you know, you want to go do what you want, what you love. Um, This was somebody who want to do what they love. And instead of, you know, where, you know, they're going to, you know, all of a sudden they're going to uh, get their hearing back. They're going to be great. I mean, the reality was, is that he wasn't going to get it back. He was going to have to adapt and learn his new life. And that's basically what Ruben went and did. He goes into a rehab to learn how to, you know, learn it, basically learn his new life because he has a new life now. He's no longer really able to hear and he plays and he does something where, you know, the hearing is really important. But it, it, what was more important was his passion into playing music. I mean, you heard, heard it in the movie, John. He he wanted to go p- back to music right away. I, he was saying like, mm-hmm. I I can do it with I can do it without hearing right away, right off the bat. So I mean, we just, it just shows the passion that he had for music. He was super talented, and I mean, this was a guy who you know was a recovering addict. Um, so there were scares, scary parts, or kind of I guess in the back of your mind, you're thinking like. Uh, oh, th- this could go really wrong for him. Could he go back, you know, into that way? Because, I mean, he's probably going to be a little bit upset. But he had a support system. He went to rehab. He did all the things correct. He wanted to eventually get back. He wanted to learn his new life. And, I mean, that was a great part was because they were honest with it, is that, you know what, your life is never going to be what it once was, but we can work 
to making it so that you can keep going with your passion and still live, you know, a great life. And I mean, that's kind of, that's exactly what this movie showed. So John, out of all the, you know, like you said, all the things that we talk about, you know, movies, um, artists and, you know, poems and stuff like that, John, this was what I think one of the best at getting it right. What, what, what was your thoughts on it though, John? I know because you uh, have a reason you picked I, it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I am in lock stock with you, sir. Um, the moment that I saw this movie when it came out, oh, in like 2020, yeah, um, I found it to be kind of a revelation. Um, this was not a movie that mm, deigned to pull punches or kind of water things down. Um, no, there are some ugly scenes in the movie. Um, there are some stressful moments, sometimes when it appears things are not going to go so great for Ruben. Um, he's never going to come to terms with what's happened, and um, he's just going to be doomed to languish his entire life away because he's never going to get over this hearing loss issue. Um but to his credit, um, by the end of the film, he has learned um, ASL. He's embraced being a member of the hard of hearing community. And he's no longer railing against being deaf. He's come to this wonderful feat of acceptance so hard for anyone to do i've had to do it myself um and the movie doesn't even need for there to be a happy ending you know um i mean the spoiler alert, uh spoiler alert but um the two lovers at the beginning of the movie they don't get back together with each other at the end of the film uh, Ruben is firmly ensconced in his new life, and his ex-partner is completely doing her own thing, and they are no longer on the same wavelength. So, for its honesty, sometimes brutally so, um, I adore this movie, and uh, I'm so glad that uh, it sounds like you did too. Yeah, yeah, no, definitely, John. Like I said, I, I, I'm trying to think back to all the movies we've talked about so far, but th this has got to be one or arguing with number one as you know the the most real it can get because sometimes you know the, like you said, brutally honest. I mean, John, me and you both know there, there's no map to life. We we have no idea what's gonna happen. We can put ourselves in the best position for that something to happen. It still may never happen. Um, and that's kind of what this movie was. It was the cold, hard truth was that, you know, Ruben w was going to have to find figure out how to live his new life. And the great part is, is that they showed the disability community 
in a very high light without not being honest, without, you know, making something, you know, absolutely crazy happen. No, Ruben basically had to go through, you know, basically had to accept what his new life was and how he was going to now, you know, be, you know, part of society and be a a good member of society. And that's what Ruben wound up being. So, I mean, it showed the disability community in a good light. It showed them in a good light in a realistic way. It showed that not everything's pretty, not everything's, you know, a great path. But like Mike said, these are the people that we want to root for. I mean, whoever you are, brother, like I said, I never actually looked at it from, you know, that perspective that like taking a professional sports player who maybe, you know, who who just recently tore their ACL in the NFL, um, Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Rodgers. Yeah. Who, who's not going to be rooting for? Aaron? Who's not going to be in that stadium? Whatever team the Jets play next year, who isn't going to be clapping their hands? Is is anybody honestly on the Jets play next year? It could be New England. It could be Miami. It could be Green Bay. Game one. Everyone in that stadium is going to be clapping their hands. So somebody like you know Ruben, you're clapping your hands for him getting back to you know his passion wanting to be great and i mean that's that's what this movie was so john honestly from a pure perspective on you know the representation of the disability community john i think it's a 10 out of 10 so do i so do i so we both wholeheartedly recommend that you folks visit sound of metal you won't be disappointed And now that's going to bring us to our last segment, Connecting the Dots, which takes its cues from the Braille alphabet, which is a series of dots, one, two, three, four, five, six, and how those dots interact with one another. um, And that is how the alphabet and language works. So um, I wanted to talk a bit about self-advocacy. It's one of the things that the students that I work with constantly struggle with. Um, being uneasy in a sighted, being uneasy without vision in a sighted world, being uncomfortable or feeling as though you are somehow less than. Um, so I teach self-advocacy skills. For example, uh, last week, I went to my local CVS to pick up a medication. Now, the CVS where I go, it is always, no matter what time of day I go, what day of the week, that it does not seem to matter, it is jam-packed near the pharmacy. And uh, there are a plethora of lines that, um, that are going down. So, okay, I begin standing in one of the lines. I get up to the front after a good, you know, 35 to 40 minutes. And um, I say, hi, uh, yeah, my name is John Steinberg. Uh, I am uh, picking up. And this person goes, oh, you're in the, Mm-mm. this is the drop-off window. Uh, the pickup one is over there. And I could tell that she was pointing to a direction, but I can't see, so I have no idea what direction she's pointing to. So I took it upon myself to whip out my cane 
put it on the desk in front of her and go, I, excuse me, I'm sorry, I can't see. Um, so when you say over there, I'm not sure exactly what you mean. So I'm going to need a little bit more help than that. And then immediately she went, oh, oh, I'm so sorry. I, I'm, 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 oh, geez. Uh, let me, l let me get someone to help you. I thought, yeah, that's right. That's right. It shouldn't have taken me, you know, um, theatrically busting out my cane and placing it on her desk to try to shame her into treating me like a human being. But after that happened, um, I did get some uh, kind of personalized help, and um, everything wound up working out. Um, but that type of thing happens to me all the time. Um, two weekends ago, I went to the uh, Barnes & Noble at the Grove in Los Angeles. It's a big deal. Um, Oftentimes, they'll have um, celebrities come in and uh, do readings and sign copies of their books and, and the like. And uh, my wife and I have been to a multitude of these. So we were going to see uh, Matthew McConaughey, who was signing copies of this children's book that he just wrote called Just Because. Now, the way that the whole event worked was... There was a 9 a.m. Uh, slot for people to sign up for, a 10 a.m. slot, and an 11 a.m. slot. We'd signed up for an 11 a.m. slot, and we got there a little bit early, and uh, we are trying to kind of walk to the Barnes & Noble, and we see that there is a line that is snaking around the entire mall, like, the entire mall. It reminded me of standing in line to get into a Super Bowl. It was crazy. There wound up being 5,000 people in line to, to, uh, to meet Matthew McConaughey. And, um, you know, my wife turned to me and said, like, hey, because we had a Van Morrison concert that we were going to later that night in Santa Barbara. She goes, you know, <clears throat> we're just going to have to go straight to the show if, um, if we stay here the whole day, because we're not meeting him for another, like, four hours. And, you know, in addition to the Van Morrison concert, we had some other stuff that we wanted to do in the Santa Barbara area. And just we hadn't planned to invest four, four plus hours waiting in line to meet Matthew McConaughey. So I go, OK, all right. Fine, we will take off, but let's go up to the front and get the autographed copy of the book that we've already paid for before we leave. So we snake back through this gigantic line, kind of up to the front, and uh, we tell them, like, hey, listen, um, you know, uh, we didn't realize that it was going to take four plus hours. Um, we just, yeah, you know, we, uh, we can't do it. Um, but we would like to get the autographed copy of the book that we paid for. Um, the gentleman running security goes, oh, oh, um, actually, if you come with me, um, you can be one of the first 30 people to meet Mr. McConaughey. I'm like, okay, 
So my wife and I follow him inside, and um, it turned out to be kind of like, um, oh, when you're boarding an airline, and they'll say um, people with small children, disabilities, uh, veterans. It's kind of that group of people who got first dibs on um, the, uh, the meeting with Matthew McConaughey. So what went from a, oh, screw it, it's not going to happen, it's four hours, Ugh, so frustrating, let's at least just get the autograph book that we paid for and move on, uh, turned into, I mean, we met him and took a picture with him, and uh, I got to ask Mr. McConaughey, so I teach at a school for the blind, and I wanted to know, from your perspective, if I could tell my students to read, aside from the Bible, one truly inspirational book, what book should I tell them to read? And he thinks about it and goes, well, read Green Lights, man, Green Lights, you know, which is his book. Um, and uh, it's like, I don't know, or tell them to read uh, uh, The Fat Cat or something. I'm like, okay, perfect, perfect. Thank you so much, Matthew. And, uh, yeah, we took a picture and, uh, you know, got the autograph book and, and we're on our merry way. Um, but my point being that self-advocacy will get you everywhere when it comes to um, being a member of the visually impaired community. Uh, people out there really do want to help. Um, it's just sometimes they don't know how. And they don't know that you need help sometimes. So um, this is me saying, uh, swallow your pride, pick up your cane, and get out and start living your life. Yeah, no, John, that, that's definitely good advice. You know, I, I, I do wonder, you said that sometimes people, you know, don't know that somebody is in the disability community or don't know that they need the help. I wonder how often that actually is, you know, the, the case, like, is it, is it just a lack of caring or is it, you know, a lack of awareness? Cause yeah, that's, that's a really interesting point that you bring up is how do, or how, because I know that me and you, obviously we've worked with the disability community before you, I mean, we, we still do uh, things in the disability community. Um, like for the, for, for somebody who, doesn't how 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 often do, do 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 they just not know how to help um or don't know what to look for because i you know i i know uh you know working with uh special need kids is um they're, they're sometimes you know treated uh wrongly or um, they, they may see it wrongly. And, you know, sometimes it comes in for an awkward reaction between that person, special needs person, because that person may not understand their special needs. And they don't understand that, like, some things are, like, a really big deal. Like, one of the things is time. Like, special need kids. I don't know, John, if you ever worked with or know somebody who's special needs, time is a big thing for them. Like, 6.59 p.m. and 7, 7 o'clock p.m., that is a difference of a year for them. I mean, if there's something, if they're supposed to have something at seven o'clock and it comes at six fifty nine, it could really, really, it, it could ruin their whole entire day. Um, for some of them, and I mean, you know, me and you would be like, what, 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 what does that matter? It's a difference of a minute. 
Um, for, for them, it does. And that that's kind of where I kind of put what you're uh, you're saying here, John, is that like not understanding um, somebody's disability and then either one, n- not helping at all, or two, um, n- not understanding how to help. And so- sometimes, like I said, creating that, that, that awkward conversation between, you know, the, the two people. And that, that's kind of what can happen sometimes. So I, I think that, you know, obviously what we're doing here, and unfortunately we can't solve everything, is finding a way to make it, um, you know, I don't want to say more obvious, um, because, you know, some people don't want to share their disabilities and that's totally their right. Not so much more obvious, but more aware that they're out there, that more aware that people with a disability are out there. And so I think the best way to, you know, to, to go about it is, um, you know, teach like teaching uh, people uh, not, not necessarily completely what to look for, but the, the awareness that they are out there and, you know, treat people because you don't know everyone's circumstance and not just disability world, but any, everything. You don't always know everyone's circumstance. And John, I mean, you said it. If like, like we both said, you know, let people know, but you're also, it's not, you don't have to let people know. I don't know if it's always your duty to let people know. But there is no shame in letting people know. And, you know, there are people out there who want to help. Because, John, you just said, I mean, th- those the two people that you happen to talk to both wanted to help. And, I mean, you got to meet Matthew McConaughey inside of a group of 30 people. So, um, I mean, sometimes it works out really, really well. Um, but I think I think that's I think we're kind of on the same point there is the awareness uh, that we need to bring. And if you are somebody who's disabled, um, and, and w- would like to share with that person that, you know, hey, you know what, um, I, I, this is different for me. Um, this is difficult for me. Um, th- th- I'm not able to do this. Um, I need help or I need assistance. Um, th- there's no shame in that. And if anybody's disabled, they feel you know, a problem with speaking up. Plenty of people are out there who want to help. You know, it, 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 unfortunately, some people have different experiences. Um, but there are people out there, good people out there who want to help, who want to make your life easier, who want to, you know, be part of the solution. So John, I think that was a good, you know, a, a good point you bring up there is, um, you know, let, let people know and people uh, for hopefully and most of the time will be willing to help and want to help. Absolutely. Okay, and that is going to do it for another episode of Visionaries. Aiden, where can the good folks at home follow us? Yeah, Visionaries Podcast. We're on all uh, your streaming sites, uh, Apple Podcasts, Spotify. Also the link in the Instagram bio, Visionaries Podcast. You can go ahead, click the link, and it'll bring it onto uh, onto our show. So, uh, John, awesome speaking this week. Uh, we got another episode coming up real soon. We got another guest coming on. So, uh Definitely uh, looking forward to that. Yes, yes, yes. And uh, have a great week, everyone. We will talk again very soon.